Take this off so you can hear me a little better. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. Let's pray for the sermon this morning. Our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word filled with your promises. Help us to take captive our thoughts and not take it for granted. Thank you for always being everywhere present, all the time, in all places. Father, thank you for the privilege and the joy of worship. And for thanking, or thankful, we are thankful for gathering here today in this building and reading and studying your word. Thank you for your faith. Thank you for our faith in you and for the free gift of salvation. Father, we pray that as we get ready for the sermon today, that you open up our hearts and our minds. Remove the distractions, Lord. We pray for Pastor Andrew as he delivers the message today. Give him all the words as he needs to challenge us all. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. sermon series is titled Beholding. If you remember our key text for that is 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 which says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. So there's our sermon series, right? Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, uh, the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we become what we behold, right? Hopefully that's familiar to you. We become what we behold. And so as we behold the glory of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord uh, transforms us into the image 
of the Lord. So seeing is beholding. And so if you want to accelerate your Christian growth and be more like Christ, our text is telling us how that happens. That text, 2 Corinthians 3, seeing is beholding. Behold the glory of the Lord. And as you do so, you are changed from one degree of glory to another by the sovereign, powerful, mighty work of the spirits. There are no shortcuts there. Seeing is becoming. Seeing is beholding. So for the past uh, several weeks, like Josiah said, we've been going through this series, Beholding, and we've been seeking to behold uh, these incommunicable attributes of God, these, these attributes of God that He does not share with us, uh, these attributes of God that in many ways are a mystery to us. And it's kind of been my joy and my great privilege to stand up before you and, and try and, however uh, pathetically, uh, to explain and, and expound upon these amazing attributes of God. And so we've considered His infinity, that God is without limits, and then we talked about everyone's favorite word, right? Aseity. Uh, that God is, I mean, you've all been saying that ever since that message, right? Just kind of slip that into conversations. Well, you know God's aseity, right? God is from himself, which is to say he is independent. Uh, he depends on no one. He is utterly free. He is, he has aseity. God is also immutable, uh, which is to say he never changes. He cannot change. He will not change. And, and maybe you're sitting there thinking, all these words you're throwing out there, Pastor Andrew, infinity, aseity, immutability, those are all incomprehensible to me. Well, that's exactly what Josiah preached on last week, right? It's incomprehensible. God is incomprehensible. We're just getting a small part of this. God is way beyond our understanding. And so this morning with Psalm 139, we're going to jump into a couple more attributes of God. His omniscience, which is the fact that God is all-knowing. And His omnipresence, which is the fact that He's everywhere. God is everywhere. And the next week, Lord willing, we'll wrap this series up uh, speaking on God's sovereignty. So Psalm 139 is our text this morning. And again, it talks about his omniscience and his omnipresence, that he's all-knowing, that he's everywhere present. Uh, Psalm 139 is divided easily into four paragraphs uh, of six verses each. And so in verses 1 through 6, you can see how God is intimately aware of us. And then in verses 7 through 12, you can see God's pervasive presence. And then in verses 13 through 18, uh, David affirms God's sovereign creation of him. And then in verses 19 through 24, David responds to God's knowledge and presence and power with this deep, heartfelt dedication. And it's important to remember as we study Psalm 139 that it's, it's David who wrote it, and David writes this psalm while his life is at risk. There are many who hate God and hate God's people, and David was very hated by many, and his life is on the run. He's very insecure at this point as far as the physical life goes, and they want, these individuals want to destroy him. And so David does what we should all do. He runs to God in faith. And as he does so, David finds assurance and hope and rest and safety and security that God knows him exhaustively. 
and that God is with him wherever he might go. So diving into his omniscience, that, that God knows everything. And this, this is another staggering truth, and in so many ways is, is incomprehensible. But it's this truth that God knows everything there is to know. He knows everything. God never learns anything. Nothing new ever pops into his mind. God never says, man, I never thought of that before. Right? God knows everything. God never receives updates. God doesn't need a reminder or notifications to pop up on his smartphone. God, nothing ever catches him off guard. He doesn't need an advisor or, or a counselor. God knows all that will happen before it comes to pass. He knows what every outcome will be before it occurs. God knows everything. And he knows everything all the time, immediately. He doesn't have to stop and wonder or calculate or count. He knows it instantly. He knows everything all the time, immediately. Google wishes they could do that, huh? Google can't hold a candle to God and never will. God's memory never fades. Mine fades. Have you ever... I have those moments where you kind of look through some, some old memories, or my phone, um, your phone probably does this too, uh, will every day pop up memories from like some, sometimes like a year ago, or two years ago, or five years ago, and I totally forgotten. Uh, your memory fades. Uh, God's memory doesn't fade. First John chapter 3, verse 20 says, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Peter confessed this with his with his this truth when he confessed and said to Jesus, "Lord, you know all things. You know all things. God has perfect knowledge of himself. That's an incredible thing to think about when you remember that God is infinite, right? God has no limits. But God knows himself without limits. He knows himself in every detail. That's suggested from a lot of verses in scripture, but in particular, 1 John 1 verse 5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And I think light there indicates not just that God is morally pure, but also that God has ultimate knowledge. And if there's no darkness in God, then God knows himself ultimately, intimately. We understand this also to be true with the Trinity. Uh, listen to Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, where Jesus says, No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And to anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So there you have this deep understanding between the Father and the Son. Also, John chapter 10, verse 15 says, Jesus says, just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. So again, you see that intimate knowing between the Trinity. We can't leave out the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except who? The Spirit of God. So you have this deep knowledge and oneness between the Trinity. The Father knows the Son. The Son knows the Father. They have perfect knowledge of each other. And, and likewise, the Father and the Son know the Spirit, and the Spirit knows the Father and the Son. That's incredible to think about, because I don't know myself. Do you know yourself that well? 
is difficult, isn't it? There's much we don't know about ourselves or understand about ourselves. But God, this, this true God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Spirit are perfectly united in will and purpose. They work together in perfect harmony to carry out their distinct roles. Each one knows precisely what the other two persons within the Trinity are thinking and feeling and desiring. They know each other intimately and deeply and exhaustively. God also has ultimate or perfect knowledge of the universe. Psalm 147 verses 4 through 5 says that God determines the number of stars. And he gives them all their names. Again, he doesn't have to stop there and think and go, okay, you know, okay, I see that one. Oh, that's a new one. He doesn't have to do that. He's determined the number of stars and he's named them. And so that verse says, great is our Lord, abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. He also has perfect knowledge of things small and seemingly insignificant. Our hearts rejoice in, in the verses like Matthew 10, 29 and 30, where Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. That's intimate knowledge, isn't it? And then what's to say after that? That he's numbered every hair on your head. He knows and has perfect knowledge of the small and seemingly insignificant things. He also has perfect knowledge of things actual and things possible. All things actual because Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He knows it all. He sees it all. He's, he's aware of it all. He sees into your thoughts and my thoughts and actions and desires and choices and feelings. But he doesn't just know all things actual. He knows all things possible. He knows all things that, that might have happened had the variables been different. For example, in Matthew 11, verse 21, Jesus states that the people of Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented if they had seen the mighty miracles that Christ is performing. Uh, Wayne Grudem writes this, he says, quote, The fact that God knows all things possible can also be deduced from God's full knowledge of himself. Now think about this, he, he writes, If God fully knows himself, he knows everything he is able to do, which includes all things that are possible. Then he writes, This fact is indeed amazing. God has made an incredibly complex and varied universe. There are thousands upon thousands of other variations or kinds of things that God could have created but did not. God's infinite knowledge includes detailed knowledge of what each of those other possible creations would have been like and what would have happened in each of them. That's a fascinating thought. He knows all things possible. God also has perfect knowledge of all things past, present, and future. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 9 says, Behold, look, see, observe, the former things have come to pass. New things I now declare, before they happen, I tell you. He knows all things. God is not looking down the corridors of time trying to guess what, what's going to happen. 
He knows everything that will happen before it comes to pass. This is beautifully stated in Psalm 139, verse 16. Uh, Chad didn't read that, but Psalm 139, verse 16, if you just want to drop down there real quick, where David writes, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book, God's book, were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. That's a staggering verse. The scriptures are affirming that God wrote the script for your life. And so this past, what day was it? Wednesday, I was driving to Portage to pick up a sleep apnea device. You know, one of those home things you can do to, where they test your sleeping and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I was driving down there, and it's mid-afternoon, 2.33, something like that. I haven't had lunch yet. So my stomach's growling, I'm hungry, I want to eat. And so I go pick up my device and I'm driving back and I, the road that I'm on, Center Avenue and Portage, there's two choices before me. Uh, I had Subway before me or I had Wendy's. <clears throat> the burger went out, I went for the burger at Wendy's. Uh, but I share that to say, was God surprised by that choice? Was God like, oh man, I didn't see that one coming, I thought he'd go Subway. God wrote the script. God ordained my days before one of them came to be. God is never surprised. God knows all things. God knows me and he knows you exhaustively, the past and the present and the future. Does that scare you? Does that comfort you? It comforted the psalmist. David was strengthened and assured by this. Again, just remember the context. David has a much harder decision than picking what he's going to have for lunch. David is on the run. He's surrounded by hostilities. Everything around him is uncertain. What he needs is certainty. Where does he find it? He finds it in God who knows all. He finds it in God's presence. And that allows him to stand confident, ready to face anything. David was strengthened and reassured and in awe and wonder at God's loving plan and purpose and watch care. The same should be true of you and I. So let's look at verses 1 through 6 and see how he says it. In verse 1 he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. And the word for searched, uh, it, it's the same word used in a few places in Scripture for a miner who's digging for gold. It's also used for spies when they go into the land to spy that land out. The, the idea that's there, if you can picture in your mind maybe, of a detective who explores and, and turns over every piece of evidence, or again, that miner digging for gold, that's what God has done. He has deeply and carefully examined every detail of your inner life. And so the psalmist cries out, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Nothing has escaped his gaze. He sees through that outward show that every one of us puts on. He sees through it. He has peered into every corner of your hearts. He has examined and tested every motive and desire of your hearts. He has spied the most secret sources of your soul. Jesus said in Luke 16, 15, God knows your hearts. You can't keep any secrets from God. He knows you intimately, utterly, exhaustively. He knows you better than you know yourself. Again, I ask, does that make you uncomfortable? 
Does that unnerve you? Not for David. It causes him to rejoice in God. It causes him to open his heart to it, if you just read verses 23 and 24 in our text. So God knows your heart, but God also knows your goings. Look at verse 2, it says, You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. The word know in that verse, you know when I sit down. It's the same word used throughout the whole Old Testament to describe the physical relationship between a husband and a wife. That's how well he knows you. He knows when you sit down. He knows when you rise up. And I'm going to use a technical term here. Uh, When it says, when I sit down and when I rise up, uh, that's known as a merism. You ever hear of a merism? M-E-R-I-S-M. Or some people refer to it as an inclusion. And all that means is, it's a fancy way of saying is, when, when David says in verse 2, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, he's not just talking about when he sits down and when he rises up, but everything that happens, what? In between. And so David is affirming here that your most common moments, your most casual moments, you know, when you're, when you're driving to work or you sit down to have a cup of coffee or when you're driving to school, all of it is seen by God. Verse 3 says much the same. says, you search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. There's a beautiful example of this in Genesis 16. Uh, in Genesis 16, we encounter uh, Sarah's handmaiden named Hagar. And if you remember, Sarah has been trying to get what? Pregnant, right? So far, she hasn't. Who does get pregnant? Her handmaiden. She's not happy about that, is she? Actually, gets pretty bitter. So she kicks Hagar out of the house. Imagine that, sending a pregnant woman out into the wilderness. And as far as we can determine, Hagar starts to make her way for Egypt. But the trip is too much for her. She's in a desperate strait. She's suddenly surprised by a stranger, the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord says to her in Genesis 16, verse 7, it says the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. And I tell you, I love that verse. He found her. He found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The angel of the Lord went looking for her. The good shepherd went looking for her. God is a seeking God, familiar with all of our ways. God came looking for this lowly, mistreated, outcast, pregnant girl. God went looking for her. No one is too lost or too small in God's sight. Hagar is amazed by this, and she names God El Roy, E-L-R-O-I, which means the God who sees. She's staggered by it. She's amazed by it. And all she can do is say, Elroy, truly I have seen him who sees me. It's a staggering passage. 
God knows your goings. God sees you. God looks after you. God knows your thoughts. Again, verse 2 of Psalm 139, the psalmist writes, You discern my thoughts from afar. God knows everything you're thinking right now. (laughs) Right? Like, you know, he knows it all. He knows your emotions. He knows what you're feeling, your ideas, your thoughts, your concepts, your resolve, your aim, your determination, your doubts, your motives. It's an open book to him. It's transparent to his eyes. You might be fooling everyone else, but you're not fooling God. He knows your heart, the secrets within. He understands your every plan, your every thought, your every desire. He also knows your words. Verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So before David wrote A, God knew it. And before David wrote word, God knew it. You can keep going through those verses, right? Before any of those came to his mind to write, God knew it. God knew those thoughts from afar. How often have you blurted something out? that you didn't really mean or want to blurt out. How often have you, you're about to say something, but what happens? It's gone. I can't remember what I was going to say. My, our secretary up in Newbury would say, that means you're going to lie. <laughs> I hope that wasn't true, because I forget quite often what I was about to say. Otherwise, I'm quite, quite the liar. <clears throat> but God knows. God has knowledge of your words before you speak them. Before you know what you're going to say, he knows what you're going to say. And God has exhaustive knowledge of your words because it says in that verse, O Lord, you know it all together. Pretty amazing, huh? God knows you exhaustively. He knows you utterly, perfectly. He knows your heart. He knows your coming and going. He knows your thoughts. He knows your words. Truth like this is too much for David to to contain and think about. So verse 5, he says, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And David is quite the poet. He's lost for words here. He can't begin to express the wonder of how intimately and perfectly and exhaustively God knows him. It's too wonderful. God's enveloping knowledge is is too deep. It's too wide. It's too great. And so David has his back against the wall. Violent men are, are, are coming in on him. But David is fortified. David is not shaken. David is filled with wonder. Because God knows him. It should be the same for us. In times of difficulty, we should be able to say, God knows. God knows. God knows the way I take. He knows my words. He knows my thoughts. He knows what's coming. He knows it all. In your deepest, hardest trials, your safety, your rock, your security is this. God knows. God knows. Because God knows, you can rest. Because God knows, you can trust him. Maybe you're a person who struggles with perfectionism. Maybe you're an individual who condemns yourself because you're less than perfect. 
Or maybe you're an individual who is particularly sensitive to Satan's wiles and tricks and attacks. And so you're often very laden and heavy with guilt and shame. I would remind you of 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 that I read a few minutes ago where it says, Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than your hearts. He knows everything. That's 1 John 3.20. That's a staggering thought. So when, when you're tempted to despair, or when you're, you're tempted to, to introspect to the point of great harm, God is greater than your heart. When others misunderstand you, right? That drives you nuts, right? When you say something or do something and people totally misinterpret it and misunderstand it, and you want to do what? Defend yourself? You know you don't need to defend yourself? You know why? God knows. He knows. He knows the truth about you. He knows when you suffer unjustly for doing what is right. God knows when you're being falsely accused. Or think about this, have, have you ever been scared to say something to someone because you're afraid of how they're going to react? Man, if, if they knew that about me, I don't think they'd ever talk to me again. You ever think that way or feel that way? If people knew the real me, they'd run from me. Maybe you made a big mistake and you think if anyone found out they would disown you. You don't have to worry about that with God. He knows all about you. He knows all things. He knows the worst about you. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, man, I wish he didn't. <laughs> I wish he didn't know the worst things about me. But you know what? If God didn't know everything about you, wouldn't you be horrified that someday he's going to find out? And when he finds out, he's going to what? Disown you. Wouldn't you be horrified of that? If God didn't know the worst thing about you and you thought somehow you're hiding that from him, and wouldn't you be terrified that one day he's going to come out in the open and God's going to be like, whoa. <laughs> I'm done with that person. If I had known that, man, I never would have started this. God knows the worst about you. The scriptures say, while we were still sinners, the worst about us, our sinful sinfulness, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knew the worst about you. He knew those thoughts. He knew those motives. He knew those desires. He knew those actions. He knew it all. And he, in his love, sent his son to die for that sin. He knew it all. It doesn't say, after we clean ourselves up, but at our worst, God knew and God loved Listen, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, you are secure, you are safe in Him. You are never misunderstood by Him. You are perfectly safe in Him. You can take your lumps. You don't have to be anxious about anything. You don't have to try and explain yourself. You are secure in Him who knows everything. You have nothing left to hide, nothing left to prove. He knows it all. 
find your safety in Him. Or maybe I come at it this way, maybe, maybe you struggle with depression. Maybe you suffered tremendous heartbreak. Maybe even abuse at the hands of people who said they loved you. And you've thought to yourself, you're weeping to yourself, you're crying to yourself, nobody understands. Ever been there? I'm so alone. Nobody understands. I feel abandoned. I want you to know this morning there is someone who does understand. There is someone who knows your suffering. Someone who knows you better than you know yourself. And maybe you have this morning convinced yourself that you are unlovable. That you are so broken. That you are so damaged. You condemn yourself. 1 John 3.20 God is greater than your heart. He knows everything. He is the God who sees you. The God who knows all about you, who understands you, and who loves you. You are not alone. You are not abandoned. You are understood by him who understands everything. Put your faith in him. Trust in him. Well, not only does he know everything, he is also everywhere present. Everywhere present. He's not limited to any one location or physical space. God has no spatial dimensions. He's not confined to a single location like I am standing here right now. Uh, God is everywhere present. But catch this, it's not just, this is where we go wrong sometimes, it's not just that God is everywhere present. But God is present everywhere, all the time, in the totality of who he is. Which is to say, there is not part of him here, and part of him back at my home in Delton, and part of him down in Allegan County, and part of him kind of spread out like butter across a piece of toast. No, God is present everywhere, all the time, totally. That's staggering, isn't it? He is 100% in the fullness of his being with us now. And that's true wherever he is. It's amazing, amazing truth. And I need to just say, be careful, this is not a pantheism. Remember that back in religious class? Pantheism. Pantheism is that understanding or that view that not, not that so much that God is everywhere, but God is in all things. So we as Christians would say that God is in this place. A pantheist would say he's in this pulpit. He's in the chairs you're sitting in. They fail to make the distinction between creator and creation. That God has created all things and is present in all places, but he is distinct and separate from that which he has created. So we're not talking about pantheism that distorts God's omnipresence. We are talking about a God who is present in all places and active for his glory and his will, but he is not to be identified with his creation. 
So how does the psalmist uh, speak about God's omnipresence or the fact that God is everywhere present? Well, look at verse 7. It says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? The obvious answer is nowhere. doesn't matter where you go. You can, you can travel to the, uh, the forests of western Canada. You can go to the jungles of the rainforest in, in Amazon. You can go wherever you want to go. You can go to the, the peak of Mount Everest. Or you ever hear of the Mariana Trench? You know that's deeper than Mount Everest is tall? And they say if Mount Everest was put into the Mariana Trench, there would still be about a mile's worth of ocean above it. So if you were to go to the top of Mount Everest or to go to the bottom of the Mariana Trench, God is 100% in all his totality there waiting for you, patiently waiting for you. What took you so long to get here? Right? He's everywhere. No matter where you go, God is there. There's nowhere that God isn't. David brings this truth out using three contrasts. Contrast number one is found in verse 8 between height and depth. Verse 8 says, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is another word for grave, death, you are there. Another contrast between the east and the west in verses 9 and 10, where it says, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. So imagine that, just, just thinking about verse, verse 9. If David were to make light itself his chariot and travel at, how fast does light go? 186,000 miles per second, or whatever that is. I'm bad at science. <laughs> whatever that is. God is moving at that speed. If you're moving at that speed, you can't escape his presence. And when it, when it speaks about the uttermost parts of the sea, I think he's referencing the, the Mediterranean Sea, which is to the west of, of Israel, where David would have been when he wrote this. And when he talks about uh, the wings of the morning, that's to the what? To the east. And so as you make your way through this text, David is saying north, south, east, west, right? Heaven, Sheol, the wings of the morning, or the great sea, right? North, south, east, west, wherever I go, you're there. God is there. He's always available. Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24 says, Am I a God, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? So again, if he goes to heaven, God's there. If he dies, God is there. If he, he, if he goes 186,000 miles per hour or per second, whatever that is, God's there. God's hand is on him. He doesn't lose him. God's always present. Man, doesn't that fill your heart with joy and confidence and safety and security? God in the totality of his person is with you. doesn't matter where you go, he is with you. He is there in his wisdom to guide you. He is there in his power to protect you. He's also there in his power to strengthen you. His mercy and his grace are there to forgive you and to refresh you. His goodness to cheer you, his love 
to comfort you. Doesn't this truth inspire you to pray? He hears me. His hand is upon me. Doesn't this truth uh, cause you to trust him? He's always available. 24 hours a day. You always have his full attention. You don't have to make an appointment. He doesn't get stuck in traffic jams. He's not stuck over in Africa and needs to make his way here. So can you hold on for two hours while he makes the whatever to get here? No matter the trial, God is with you. I love how the psalmist says it. He is your very present help in times of trouble. Ever think about how Jesus was able to sleep in the middle of that storm? Is it not because he knows that God the Father is with him and he's safe, he's secure? Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? You are with me. You are with me. Jesus is our great shepherd who never leaves us nor forsakes us. Remember the name given to Jesus when he's born? Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. God with us. Well, the third contrast is found in verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Wow. <laughs> so, if God is inescapable, north, south, east, west, maybe I can go in my house and cover myself up with the blankets, you know, close the doors, close the blinds, cover up under the blankets, and, and God won't find me. It's dark. I can hide in the darkness. At least there, maybe I'm safe. He won't find me. Would that work? No, because our verse says, the dark is as light to him. It doesn't confound him. It doesn't confuse him. You can't, you can't get lost in it. Have you ever done something and been so ashamed of it that you try and hide and cover up? It doesn't work. God knows. This is deeply convicting. If you let this truth settle in your heart, it's, it's, it's deeply convicting. Listen, God is inescapable. You can't escape Him. You can try and ignore Him all you want, but you can't avoid Him. He's unavoidable. Psalm chapter 90, verse 8 says, God, you have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. You can't hide from God. The sin that you cherish that no one else knows about, He knows. From pornography to bitterness, He knows. Nothing is hidden from him. Doesn't that convict you? Doesn't that fill your heart with fear? There's the story of a college student who fancied himself to be something of a ladies' man. One evening the phone rang and picking up the receiver, you know, back when they had receivers, pick, picking up the receiver, 
He murmured in a low, sexy voice, talk to me, baby. And all of a sudden, his face flushes red, and all he can whisper out is, oh, hey, Mom. <clears throat> it's amazing what the presence of Mom and Dad can do. <laughs> we're, we're comfortable with what we're doing and don't think Mom and Dad are know or see, and then they do, and we're terrified. If that's true about the presence of mom hearing you say, talk to me, baby. <laughs> How much more? The almighty, thrice holy God. You're home, you close the door, you think you're alone. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Amos chapter 9, verses 2 through 4, God says, If they dig into Sheol, from there shall my hand take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, which is the highest mountain in Israel, uh, from there I will search them out and I will take them. If they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, I will command the serpent, it will bite them. If they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword and kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. That is a terrifying passage of scripture. There is no escaping God. That truth should convict you. That truth should produce fear in your heart, but not fear that makes you panic, but fear that makes you run to God. You want to hide? Hide in God. Proverbs chapter 28 Verse 13 says, Whoever conceals or tries to hide or cover up their sins will not prosper. But the one who confesses their sin and forsakes their sin will obtain mercy. You see? Don't, don't try and hide your sin. Don't, don't try and cover up your sin. Don't, don't try and run from God. God is telling you, you won't prosper. You won't prosper. Instead, confess it to God. Forsake it. Turn from it. Run from that which is an ugly offense against the awesome holiness of God. And God will give you mercy. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God is just to do this and able to cleanse you from all unrighteousness because of the righteousness of His Son and His perfect sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And three days later, rising from the dead, victorious over sin and Satan and death. Jesus bore God's wrath. He bore our sin. He bore our shame on the cross. He tasted death for us. And his mercy and his forgiveness cleanses. It washes away the deepest, darkest stain of sin. I love the song that says, Dark the stain that soiled man's nature. And it keeps going through and lists through our great, deep, dark sin. But then it has that phrase, the grace of God, the blood of God, goes deeper than the stain has gone. 
It goes deeper than the stain has gone. That's our God. He knows everything there is to know about you. And he's always with you. You can't hide from God. So those unconfessed sins in your life that you think no one else knows about God, God knows. Stop, stop hiding them. Stop covering them up. Bring them out in the open. They're in the open anyways with God. And he will cleanse you. He will forgive you. He is all-knowing, everywhere present, omniscient, omnipresent. What an awesome God. What an awesome God. Just pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are just in awe of you. Lord, even as I stand here and think about what to pray, it just comforts me so much to know that you know what I'm going to pray. You know what's on my heart. So Lord, I would just pray with the psalmist that you would search me and know me. Lord, I'm an open book to you anyways, Lord, so I, I, I just lay myself out before you. Search me. Know me. Cleanse me. Purify me. Do whatever it takes, Father, to, to make me more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Do that for each one of us here, Lord. Search us and know us. Work in our hearts in such a way that we, we openly open our hearts to you. Convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. Lord, in your grace, help us to take that sin and throw it on you. And we thank you that you are such a God who knows us in our deepest uh, most sinful, painful, shameful, guilty ways. And you're willing to bear that, to take that, to cleanse us, to be merciful to us, uh, to give us your son and your spirit, to make us more like you and to live for your praise and your glory. Who is a God like you? Oh Lord, do a mighty work in each one of our hearts. Give us a great awareness of your power and your presence and your knowledge. Help us to move uh, and have our, our living and our being in the great awareness that you are with us and you know us and you are for us. You are not against us and you are working all things together for the glory of your name and the good of your people, Lord. May such truth like that help each one of us here to be so safe and secure in you. We won't stop at anything to serve you. Come hell or high water, Lord. We love you. We're safe and secure in you. We want to burn brightly for you. Please do that in each one of our hearts this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.